Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Love, love, love. All you need is love. But the same four guys also said, you can't buy me love. Yet someone else said, the greatest love of all is loving yourself. And then there was someone else who sung, what does love have to do with it? But then there was someone else who said, love stinks. But then there were those who said, love is a many-splendored thing. Is there any subject that is more talked about and sung about and less understood by we human beings than love? There's a lot of confusion about love. And so we even sing songs that say, what is love? What is love? Is it an emotion, a feeling? Is it a choice? Is it something we just fall into? Or is it something we can seek and pursue? What is love? What is love? We, human beings, are rather confused about it. But God's Word is absolutely clear on the topic. And this morning, we're going to look at the most famous chapter in the Bible about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a well-loved chapter in the Bible that will tell us about all kinds of love and mostly about the love that we ought to have as those who reflect our loving Father as His people. And so this morning, where there is confusion about this topic of love, let's go to God's Word for clarity about answering the question, what is love? What is love? Hear God's Word, God's people. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and have, and have all truth and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, 
then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. We thank God for His Word that is His truth to us this morning. Well, Paul begins and he ends this passage telling us that love is the greatest. Love is supreme. Note, note that he begins, we really have to begin at the end of chapter 12. That last sentence really belongs to chapter 13. Again, the, uh, God's Word is inspired. The chapter divisions and the verse divisions are not inspired. And Paul begins by saying, I'm going to show you now a still more excellent way. He's been talking to the Corinthians about spiritual gifting. That this way, these ways that God has gifted us through his Holy Spirit to serve in the church. And spiritual gifts are really important, he says, but I'm going to show you a more, a more excellent way. In fact, it is the most excellent way. Different translations translate it differently because you just can't wrap your arms around what Paul is saying. This is a far surpassing way. He begins his discussion on love saying that, and he ends. Faith, hope, and love. Faith and hope are really great, but love, the greatest of these, is love. And so love is supreme. And this morning we're going to look at what makes love supreme because love, because Paul lays that out in this chapter. He begins with the priority of love in the first paragraph, one through three, those verses. Then he's going to show us a profile or a picture of love and then he's going to close by showing us the permanence of love. That's what makes love great, that it's to be our priority. We have a profile of it here, and then we want to look at the permanence of love. So let's begin with the priority of love. What makes love supreme? Well, it has to be one's priority. It has to be the believer's priority. It wasn't for the Corinthian church. Uh, the Corinthians were really into their giftedness. Uh, they were a dynamic church. I dare say they were a church that you would have heard about and been really interested in visiting. Paul said they had all the spiritual gifts in chapter 1, verses 5, verses 5 through 7. Uh, you, you are, you've been enriched in, in every way. You have all kinds of spiritual gifts. You're a dynamic church, but there's something that you don't have. There's something that's low priority for you guys, namely love. Now, we read this chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's often read at, at, at weddings, and it's, it's very sentimental and warm to us. I think probably the most moving reading of this text I've ever heard was by then Prime Minister of Britain, Tony Blair, at the funeral of Princess Diana. I'm sure that I got choked up. There's a certain sentimentality when we come to this text. But I want to tell you... <laughs> That when the Corinthians read the Apostle Paul's words, nobody was getting choked up. Because this was not a hallmark moment for the Apostle Paul. He was targeting these guys. Oh, you're into knowledge. <laughs> oh, you think it's great that everybody speaks in tongues. Those are the people you're inviting to speak at the women's retreat. Well, let me tell you what. You can speak in the tongues of men and of angels. You can have all kinds of knowledge, all kinds of prophetic powers. But listen, if you don't have love, you are zip. You can serve in all kinds of sacrificial ways. You could give up your body to be burned. But if you don't have love, and if it is not your number one priority, you have gained nothing. 
Nothing. These are, these are strong words. Love, Paul says, is greater. It is not just the more excellent way. It is the most excellent way. It needs to be your number one priority. And these words this morning are for us. This is God's word to this church, to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Kishwaukee Bible Church, if, if you have great gifts, if you do wonderful things in the community, but you don't have love, brothers and sisters, we're nothing. It's a message to each of us who, who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Paul is sort of like Paul is sort of like a skydiving instructor here. You know, if, if you have were instructed on how to skydive, and the skydiving instructor was giving you equipment and gear you needed, he might give you a jumpsuit and say, hey, you should wear this jumpsuit. It's going to be really, it's going to be much easier for you to float through the air if you wear this. And then here are your skydiving shoes. I recommend you wear your skydiving shoes because they're really grippy on the bottom. You'll grip the bottom of the plane and be able to jump out there, and they won't be too, too heavy. They're light. They'll, they'll kind of help to balance you. And then here's your skydiving helmet. I want to strongly encourage you, you must wear your high skydiving helmet because you could bang heads with somebody out there in the air and that would be tragic. And when you hit the ground, you could tumble and you want, to, you, don't, you want to protect yourself and not get hurt. And then here is your parachute. I want to let you know that is absolutely essential for you to wear your parachute. Wearing this parachute should be your number one priority. Because the shoes, the suit, and even the helmet won't do you a bit of good if you don't have this parachute on when you go skydiving. And that's what, that's what God's Word is saying to us Christians this morning. Brother or sister, if you don't have love, if you're not seeking to grow in love, it doesn't matter anything else you've done, any other way you serve, any other spiritual experience that you've had, love needs to be your number one priority. That's one of the reasons it is supreme. Well, if love must have the primary place in our lives as followers of Christ, then, then we need to be clear about what exactly it looks like. We need to know how to operate this, this parachute. And Paul shows us what love looks like in verses 4 through 7. He gives us a profile, a picture of what love, of what true love looks like. And we click, quickly observe that love is not primarily a feeling but in action. Notice what Paul says about love in verses 4 through 7, that, that love is doing. Love is this, and love does this. Love is, is patient. Love is kind. Love, love does not insist on its own way. Love is not resentful. And we also note uh, that love can only be defined in, in context of relationships, in context of our relationships with other people. I mean, it, it's hard to be patient or kind all by yourself. There's someone you need to, you need to exercise patience or exercise kindness toward. Uh, envy is, only happens when we, we, want, we want what somebody else has. That's the definition of envy. And so everything that Paul says about what love is and what love does is in action and it happens in relationship to other people. All these characteristics of love that he lists here are other-directed and self-forgetting. 
Love does what benefits another person, even at cost to self. Notice in verse 7, the, the all things, the, the, the totality of what love does. Love bears all things. It doesn't just bear with people a little bit, but loving someone is to bear in all things. It is always to believe the best. It is always to hope the best for someone. It is always to endure all things. There are no limits on the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. I think that uh, another guy named Paul, Paul David Tripp, gives us an excellent definition of love, biblical love. Biblical love is willing sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving of it. This is the picture of biblical love. I think this is a good summary. Willing to self-sacrifice for the giving of yourself for the good of another, not requiring something in return, and not requiring that the other be deserving. Paul does a really interesting thing here in verses 4 through 7. He doesn't, doesn't just describe love. He, just, he doesn't just say love has these characteristics or it's like this. He actually personifies love. Did you notice that? Love is doing and love is being. Love is this and love does this. He's not just saying be loving. He's saying love does this. He, he's, he's personifying love. What do you think he's doing there? Why do you think he's doing that? Well, I think it's because that for a Christian, the, this character quality of love should so define us that you could put your name or my name in the place of love in this passage. That the picture of, our, of love in our lives should be that this is what we are like. So that, in other words, you could say, Dave is patient and kind. Dave does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Dave doesn't insist on his own way. He isn't irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices in the truth. Dave bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. Dave endures all things. And Dave's a liar. <laughs> Because he doesn't do those things all the time in the way that he should. Do any of us? Is there any of us who are personified by love so much that you could take love out of that passage and replace it with your name? How would you like me to say your name <laughs> to that passage? But it's true of every human being. Our default operating system is not love. It's not to willingly sacrifice for the good of others. It's not to not want something in return. It's not to judge whether or not the person that I might love is deserving of my love or not. No, we would like it to be. We certainly want it to be that way. But the love that we display has limits. I think we're a lot like the Apostle Peter when he came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone when they've sinned against me? Up to seven? Now, you've got to admit, seven times is pretty impressive. You imagine someone offending you 
willfully and being willing, to ref, re, being willing to forgive them seven times. You remember Jesus' answer. Oh, not seven, <laughs> but 70 times seven. And that's not even the limit. Jesus' point was there, there is no limit. There is no limit. And yet we set limits. And we judge whether or not the other person is lovable. And we decide at some point whether we can maybe give ourselves an out from loving someone. One of my favorite old-time rock and roll singers, Billy Joel, sang a beautiful song. Don't go changing. Try to please me. I love you just the way you are. He wrote that for his first wife, his first of four. And we're no different. We set limits on our love. We, 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 we come to a point where we say, I don't, I'm not required to love at this point. I'm not required to love that person. None of us is personified by love. It's not our default operating system. But there is one. There is one of whom it can be said, and it is said, He is love. 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. God is love. God has always been love. Long before any of us arrived on the scene, God dwelled in, in, in perfect happiness and in perfect holiness for all eternity as one being but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the three persons of the Trinity loved and continue to love one another perfectly, completely. And God decided to create. Sometimes people think God decided to create the world and to create us because he was kind of lonely or he just needed somebody else to love. Oh, no. God was full and complete for all of eternity. But because God is love, his love overflows and he has this propensity to want to share his love. And so he created a beautiful universe and he created men and women, human beings, as the pinnacle of that creation, his image bears, and the key aspect of our image, of God's image in us, is that we can have relationship with him, that we can receive his love and give love back to him, and that we can give and receive love between one another. And yet, humanity did the most unloving thing that we could possibly do. We turned our back on our God of love and we created and we committed treason against him. Dissing his love for love of ourselves and love of our advancement and the desire to be our own boss, to be our own ruler in the universe. And yet God's love was on display even as he responded to our act of rebellion as humanity. And John 3.16 says that God loved the world, the world, the fallen and rebellious world. God loved the world this way. 
he gave. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish because of their unloving life, but would rather have eternal life, eternity with the God of love and his son, Jesus Christ. The father of love gave his beloved for the unlovely. Dear ones, here is love. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, Jesus Christ, shed for us his precious blood. On the mount of crucifixions, fountains open deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy, a vast and gracious tide flowed. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. God's response was to withhold judgment and to send his son because he loved, he loved us. And God is love. And we can't love others apart from his love. It's only through God's love. Only God's love is strong enough to break the power of our self-focused love. But we can love as God loves when we have experienced his rescuing love. When we have been transformed by God's saving grace, having repented of our sin entrusted in the one who loved us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to bear our sin on the cross. When we trust in him, then we, when we have experienced his rescuing love, we're able to love. And it's not because we have a great example of love uh, to follow or to emulate. We certainly have that. But it's because we've been freed to love. God gives us new hearts with new affections, new loves. And so that the application of this message, friends, is not to try harder to love people. Oh, I need to try harder to love people. They've preached on 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. God wants me to love. My response is I need to try harder to love. That's not the response to this message. No, the response to this message is to bask in the love of your Savior. It is to remind yourself how deeply you are loved by the God who made you. It's to remind yourself that everything we weren't able to do, Jesus did. Because Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. Jesus didn't insist on his own way. Jesus isn't irritable with you, and he's, he's not resentful. Jesus certainly doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but he joy, rejoices in communicating the truth to his people. And Jesus, in love, bears all things. He, 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 he bore up, he, he shielded you from the judgment your sins deserve. 
And Jesus believes all things. He, he always entrusted himself to his heavenly Father, perfectly obedient for us and in our place. And Jesus hopes all things for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross. That's hope. And Jesus endures all things. He endured the shame. He endured the agony of the cross willingly for you and for me. And so it is Jesus who provides us with a truth profile, a true picture of love. He shows us. He answers the question, what is love? And so secure in His love, through faith, which is the delivery system of our reconciliation and forgiveness with God, you and I can begin to love others without limits. So friend, when you feel, when you don't feel like loving, when, when loving that other person is difficult, when it is illogical and counterintuitive, and everyone says you don't have to, Remind yourself of the story of God's love. The Apostle John writes, In this is love, and this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Friends, love is the operating system of the Christian. That's what this passage is saying to us. For the Christian, our operating system, the way of our life ought to be to love others. But it is only that way because we have been first loved by God. It's our operating system because it's God's operating system. We love others not to get God's favor, but because we already have it in Christ. And so finally, love's supremacy is demonstrated, thirdly, by its permanence. Love's supremacy is demonstrated by the permanence of love in the last verses of this passage. Paul tells us that, that love will outlast even the most spectacular spiritual experiences. Paul, again, picks up on these sort of spiritual gifts and experiences that the Corinthians were really into, things like speaking in tongues, unknown spiritual languages, uh, receiving revelation, prophecy, having great knowledge. These were the things that they were impressed by. But Paul says all of those things have a shelf life in verse 8. They're all partial. They're all incomplete, but love will never end. God's kind of love never falls short. In fact, this kind of love, and loving one another with this kind of love, with God's kind of love, is a little, a little foretaste of the world to come. That the future is now when you love this way. Notice again in these final verses, the, the sort of, now, then language, or now and when. It's this whole reality that the Christian has of being in, in the sort of the already and the not yet. You know, we live in the overlap of two ages. There is the present age that the Bible tells us is passing away. 
And then there is the age of Jesus and his kingdom that has come into the world through Jesus and through the pouring out of his spirit. And so as believers, we participate. We're still in this world, but we also, we also have a foretaste of the world to come. So there's, there's, there's an already of, the, of Jesus' kingdom and the world to come, but we're still living in the not yet. It isn't here yet. It isn't full. It's partial. That's what Paul is saying here. We experience the partial. And the Corinthians thought that tongues and knowledge and prophecy, because that was a spiritual gift and because they had it in, in, a, in a big way, that they must be closer to the age to come. And Paul is saying, no, actually that stuff is temporary. It's kind of like child's play. It's sort of like training wheels for now. Love is the thing that's going to last all the way into eternity. Love will never end. Love is fullness. Love is completeness. Love is the wholeness. And with the perfect comes, there's only one who could be the perfect, right? That is when Jesus comes and when his, he brings his kingdom to this planet in its fullness and in its wholeness. And this planet, once again, is perfect. Everything that it was supposed to be, new heaven and a new earth the place where God's people will live in perfect fellowship with their maker and their redeemer for all of eternity. When the perfect comes, those other things are going to pass away. But love will never end. And so when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom completely, perfectly on this planet, what we thought were our greatest spiritual accomplishments, we're going to find out is kid stuff. My best sermon is baby talk compared to the world that's to come. And everything that was unclear will become clear. Paul gives us this illustration of, of now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. It's, it's a, the illustration doesn't work for us well because we have mirrors where we can see, unfortunately, <laughs> with, with great clarity. But, you know, sometimes you might look in a in a storefront window or look in your phone and try to, try to use it as a mirror, and that's kind of me sort of there, but it's, it's kind of dark. It's kind of fuzzy. The details aren't quite there. Paul's saying that's what this life is now in terms of knowing Christ. Oh, but when he comes, when we see him face to face, everything that's unclear will become clear as we look at him. Karl Barth put it this way, because the sun rises, all lights go out. When I got up this morning, it was still fairly dark in my neighborhood. There were street lights on. I couldn't tell you if much of anything was going on outside. But once the sun came up, street lights went out. There was no need for any other light. And everything was clear and bright and beautiful in my neighborhood. Jesus is that light. All other lights go out. All, all knowledge and truth of him will become clear. Will we know him exhaustively? Oh, no, we'll never know them, him that way. But everything we don't know, that the gaps that we're, we struggle with now will all become clear in the face of our Savior. No gaps. Because we'll be in the presence of the one who already knows us fully. What a beautiful way to talk about our relationship with our Savior that we are fully known by him. 
And as you read Scripture, whenever it talks about God knowing people, it's not about God knowing facts about people. Sure, God knows everything about you from a factual standpoint. But for God to know someone is for Him to have relationship with them. It's for Him to, to, to draw them close in His covenant love. And we already are fully known by Him. Will God ever know us? Will God ever have a deeper relationship with us than He does right now? No. There are all kinds of aspects of our relationship with God that, that can be improved upon and will become clear when Jesus returns. But from God's end, He has a perfect relationship with us. He knows us fully. And He loves us fully. And through Jesus, we have already been connected to eternity. Our love demonstrates that. When we love one another, it demonstrates that we're connected to the age to come. Don Carson puts it this way, the greatest evidence that heaven has been invaded, has invaded our sphere, that the Spirit has been poured out upon us, that we are citizens of the kingdom that is not yet consummated, is Christian love. The greatest evidence of the kingdom to come is our love for one another. Loving the way that Jesus loved us for keeps permanently. I'd like to make this uh, very practical for us as we, as we close our time together, both in terms of our loving others individually and our love as a congregation. First of all, from a more individual standpoint. Who is it that you have the hardest time loving? Please do not make eye contact with anyone right now, as that could be detrimental. But perhaps as we've been going through this passage together this morning, there's a face that has appeared in your mind. And you've been saying, yeah, but. Yeah, I know that's all true. I know we're supposed to love everyone. I know we, nothing in return, whether or not they deserve it or not. I know that's all true, but you don't know this person. And you don't realize what they've done. And you don't realize just how hard it is to love them. I want to ask you this morning, what is holding you back from loving that person? Is it that you believe they don't deserve to be loved? Listen, what's, what's the international symbol for how much we deserve to be loved by God? What do we deserve from God? Yet God loves us. While God demonstrated His love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, His enemies, Christ died for us. God loved us and continues to. We can't play the deserve card. Now, perhaps it's because you don't want to limit yourself. I mean, loving others in this kind of sacrificial way, it, it, it appears that it's going to limit our freedom. And yet, friends, the very opposite is true. See, when we envy somebody, when we want what they want, it limits my satisfaction and my desires. 
But wanting more for somebody else, wanting the best for somebody else, that expands my joy because I can be joyful when they receive it and when they have it. When I insist on my own ways, that, 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 that doesn't free me. That puts the pressure on me. Now my happiness is dependent upon getting what I want. But when I don't have to have my own way, when I love people that way, that's freeing. That's freeing. Often we want to keep a record of wrong. That person needs to be punished. And we, we allow our hard feelings to be the punishment. Friends, that doesn't punish them. It doesn't create a prison for them. It creates a prison for us. Forgiveness. Forgiveness frees us. It frees us from our fear. It frees us from our insecurities. It frees us from our shame. And we have the resources, by God's grace, to forgive other people because He has forgiven us. That's always the way. I always have to remind myself of that. When I don't want to forgive somebody, just have to remind myself of all that Christ has forgiven me of. And there's no, then I have, no, I have no, nothing to stand on. There's no reason that I can withhold forgiveness from someone else. God has loved us in this way through Christ. This permanent this trustworthy, secure way. There's, there's nothing that withholds us. In fact, loving others frees us in this way. And it's a taste of the age to come. And then finally, in terms of our life together as a body, it's a new era for Kishwaukee Bible Church. Entered a new season. What will this church be known for? What do you want this church to be known for? Do you want, do you want to be known as the, the most theologically astute, sharpest, doctrinally church in the area? Could have it. God's Word says we could still be nothing. Uh, do you want to be known as the most gifted church in the, church, in the area? The most dynamic church? The one that everyone is, is talking about? It's great stuff going on there. You know what? A church can have all that. And God's Word says, still be nothing. Or would we want to be known as the most loving church? Would we want to be known as the church that is seeking to be the most loving? Friends, to the extent that we are, we give the world a taste of the world to come. And, and that's what our friends and neighbors are looking for. That's what they're longing for. The, the, the way the world loves and the way we love before Christ, it's, it's always asking something of someone. But God's kind of love and the love that His people ought to reflect is, is a freeing love. It's, it's a love that gives without asking in return. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love abides in us 
and his love is perfected in us. It meets its intended goal. And may it do so in our lives individually as we love one another and in our community as we love our neighbors as we have been loved by our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you that at just the right time, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. That while we were yet sinners, when we were utterly helpless, when we were not, we certainly weren't loving you, nor did we have the potential to love you, you loved us and you gave. Lord, we praise you this morning for the love that you have demonstrated to us, for the way you love us when we're not, still not very lovable uh, many, many times. And yet we know that secure in that love, that we can, we can love those in our lives who are difficult to love. We can demonstrate the characteristic, the, the character of your coming kingdom something this world so desperately needs. We pray for the grace to do just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.